First Peter chapter 3 is our text for this morning, and we will be looking at verses 1 through 7. This is the Word of God for us today. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word, by the, uh, well, without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Will you pray with me? Lord, we bow, we pray, we ask you for your supernatural wisdom and grace that we might understand and obey your holy word. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Is it easy to agree that this text for today is countercultural? Nothing about this text today will make us popular in the world. And in truth, many who follow Christ have been so influenced by the world and its ways that this passage isn't terribly popular in the church either. The difficulty of a passage like this reminds us of why you and I should be so happy that as a church, we work verse by verse through books of the Bible. See, we don't get to camp out on the easy stuff. And we don't get to skip over the hard stuff. I was tempted to just start us at verse 8 today and see if anybody noticed. <laughs> and by the grace of God, we are going to hope this morning that we end up presenting a clear, honest, full view of the truth of the Word of God to the people of God. The temptations for a pastor here come in a couple forms. There are some pastors who would be really harsh here. They would double down against the world and make this a passionate and legalistic sermon. Other pastors would be, and I have to confess that I was tempted, to spend more time in a sermon on this passage explaining to you more of what it does not mean than what it does. But I don't think that helps either. So this morning I do ask you for grace and for prayers. I ask you to listen with me as we work through this text. I ask you to believe, listen to me here, I ask you to believe that God has given us his word and that we have no reason at all to apologize for it. And I ask you to believe with me that God is perfect, our creator, and that God knows best what is best for us. And I ask you to believe that God's ways are going to seem foolish to a watching world, but that God's ways are indeed the ways of the Holy One. And I ask you to be gracious this morning and prayerful for those 
who struggle with texts like the one we're studying today. Y'all, it is hard not to be influenced by our culture. It is hard not to let the values and assumptions and terminology of our society seep into the way that we think. It is hard not to be turned against a teaching like this because some people in the past have abused texts like this and have abused their wives in the process. So let's be wise, let's love God, let's love God's word, and let's submit to God's word. And let's believe that God knows more than we do about what makes a flourishing human life. And let's be loving to each other while we do this. So if you're a note taker, I will give you three main points for us to work through as we look at Peter's inspired teaching on relationships at home. You want a sermon title? Relationships at home. And three main points. You ready? Yes. No, okay. Yeah. Uh, that was discouraging. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Neato. Point one, wives. Appropriately submit to your husbands. Wives, appropriately submit to your husbands. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2 reads, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, the word likewise that opens this passage tells us that we are continuing a thought. We're supposed to look at this teaching not as a separate standalone, but in its context. So what is the broad context of this passage? This passage, broadly, is inspired holy scripture. That's our context. This is not the newspaper. God's Holy Spirit led the Apostle Peter to pen his perfect, infallible word for God's people. Also in context, Peter is writing specifically to a group of Gentile Christians scattered around the cities of Asia Minor during the reign of Nero in the early A.D. 60s. More narrowly, though, this text occurs in a section of Peter's letter where he's writing primarily to those who are under authority and Peter's counseling them on how to live to the glory of God in a difficult society. Peter told believers to submit to the emperor and to his governors in chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. In 2, 18 to 25, Peter counseled believers who were household slaves to submit to their earthly masters. And in each of those cases, Peter was dealing with the fabric of the society in which he lived. Christians were not supposed to gain a reputation for rebelling against their responsibilities because of their new religion. And in both of those passages, we talked about some important things. For example, we talked about the fact that submitting to an authority honors God and does not devalue in any way the one who submits. After all, Christ Jesus submitted to authorities while on earth, though he was not diminished. 
We also pointed out in both of those instances that submitting to authorities was a way for Christians to be free to live in the Roman Empire without bringing upon themselves even more persecution than the faith itself was already going to bring. Slaves were not supposed to say, I'm a Christian now, so I'm going to not listen to my boss. That wasn't going to go well. And we were careful to point out in both instances that submission to authorities in these settings was not absolute. We do not obey our bosses if our bosses call us to break the law of the land. We do not obey the law of the land if the law of the land commands us to disobey the command of God. But in everything we do, we treat our authorities with respect and we obey them so long as their commands do not violate a higher authority. And the fact here that Peter introduces this section with likewise tells us we're still talking about relationships of authority and submission. And we see that the same principles that we just talked about are going to apply. Submission is not going to devalue you as a human being. Submission is not absolute, meaning you do not submit to orders that violate the word of God. But submission is necessary for us to flourish and for the good of society. Submission in what we're going to read today will glorify God. So Peter here commands, wives, be subject to your own husbands. The word, word for subject there, it's the word for submission. We've seen it in the previous two teachings in chapter 2. It's a word that has to do with you willingly getting under another person's authority. Here in the household, the wife is commanded by God to get under the authority of her own husband. Please note, Peter is very specific about to whom a wife is to submit. The wife is not called to submit to every man out there. A wife is called to be under the authority of her own husband. It's the Greek word idios. Don't laugh at that. That's not supposed to sound funny. It is where the word idiot comes from, by the way. An idiot is a person who can only believe his own opinion, who only believes his own thoughts. So the Greek word idios is the word for one's own. Wives, you are to submit to your idios husbands, your own now, again, I'm, I'm really not trying to be funny. I'm just telling you that's where it comes from. I can't win. A wife is called to be under the authority of her own husband. One man. Not every man. This is not a men versus women thing. Now, Peter's going to give us in the phrases that follow a motivating reason for wives to be under their husband's authority. But even from outside of the words of Peter coming next... You and I have to understand that the Bible is and has always been clear about two things regarding men and women in marriage. First, the Bible is clear. Men and women are of equal worth, of equal value in the sight of God. This is because both men and women are made in the image of God. Secondly, the Bible is and has always been clear that men and women in their marriage are to play differing roles. Husbands are supposed to lovingly, sacrificially lead and protect. Wives play a nurturing and supporting role. 
Both roles are equally valuable. Both roles glorify God. And both roles have been part of the design of God for human flourishing since even before the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Gary Ricucci, who wrote a marriage book I kind of like, writes, quote, The idea of roles in marriage did not originate with Ozzie and Harriet or any other 1950s sitcom. It's not the archaic plan of domineering men to subjugate women. Roles are not an unfortunate byproduct of God's plan B implemented as an emergency measure after sin entered the world. Rather, the essential nature of roles in marriage was established before sin. Roles, it turns out, are a reflection of God's best, not a response to our worst. They display the wisdom of divine order and care and are designed to bring glory to God as they reflect His perfect plan for the greatest good of those He has created. Now, as in the previous sections, Peter begins here by addressing the one under authority. Here he's speaking to wives. And he calls wives to submit to their own husbands. And in many ways, the rationale should be obvious. It's very similar to the last two points of chapter 2. In Roman culture, and I'm not saying this was good, but in Roman culture, a wife was to follow her husband's lead in all things, even so that a wife in the Roman Empire was not expected to have friends other than her husband's friends. A wife in the Roman culture was expected, most certainly, to adopt her husband's gods as her own. Well, picture here a woman who is married and then comes to faith in Christ. Now what do I do? A Christian wife could not adopt her husband's false gods. And a Christian wife would go to services of worship, maybe even services her husband could not, would not attend. So what Peter's doing here is he's telling the wife, in other things related to the home, the wife needs to know to live under her husband's authority. She is to do all she can to make peace in the home and show that Christianity is not arriving on the scene to destroy the family as the central institution of society. Christians don't fight against the government if we can avoid it. Christian workers don't disobey our bosses if we can avoid it. And Christian wives do not throw off their husband's leadership where they can avoid it. And Peter offers wives, especially these wives of unsaved husbands, another rationale for submission, though. He says, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And when Peter says some husbands don't obey the word, that is Peter talking about a man refusing to obey the command of God to turn from his sin and trust in Jesus Christ to be saved. But even if these men will not obey the word of God for salvation at present, Peter says that the character of a wife can play a profound role in God's moving to draw that person to Christ. Is that not good news, by the way? That a woman of godly character can be a tool in the hand of a sovereign God to save the soul of a wayward husband? Amen. Now, when Peter says the man can be won without a word, he's not saying that somebody's going to be saved without a clear gospel communication. 
I think what he's saying is that the wife doesn't have to make every single conversation she and her husband has a witnessing opportunity. Pass the gravy, by the way, you're going to hell. It's not like that. We don't have to do that. Peter here is saying a godly woman who loves and respects her husband, a godly woman who submits in every way that she can in accord to the word of God, that woman is a powerful tool in the hand of God to draw a man to, Christ, to faith in Christ. And because he's going to want to know, what is it about this faith that my wife has that has made her a better, more loving, more gracious spouse? Now, Peter doesn't really spell out for us in this chapter what submission in the home looks like. There's not a big rule set. But he does make it clear that it's the conduct of the wife in the home that we're talking about here. By the way, this is totally in keeping with everything Peter has already been saying to believers, all believers, men and women in this book. He calls us to holy, to respectful, to honorable conduct. See 1.15, see 1.17, see 2.12 for references to our conduct in this book already. Believers who live in a hard world are to conduct themselves with respect, with purity, with grace. We are supposed to be people who live, even in a world that persecutes us, lives above reproach. And this is what Peter says to wives to do at home as well, especially wives who have lost or disobedient husbands. What Peter does tell us here is that godly wives are to put on respectful and pure conduct. Now, the word respectful, the word behind the word respectful, translated respectful here, it's actually the Greek word that we use when we talk about a person fearing God. It's a word that could mean frightened, but in many settings like this one, it's a word that shows the kind of reverence or respect that a, that a child might have for a, for a good parent. The kind of respect that a subject shows a king. Again, it's the word used for fearing God. The word for pure is a word that's used for ceremonial purity, even holiness. And if you put those two words together, respectful and pure, and apply them to a wife's conduct, what you see is that a godly wife at home is to behave in such a way as to be honorable to her husband and pure before her Lord. You know, in that culture, a wife could do great damage to the reputation of her husband. She could bring great shame on her husband by refusing to follow his leader, by disrespecting him in public. The fear here might have been that if a wife no longer follows her husband's false gods, maybe she will just destroy the entire household because she won't follow her husband anywhere. Or maybe she'll destroy wives like this are going to destroy the entire society because no families can work anymore with that kind of choice-making behavior. And so what Peter is saying is Christian wives... You will most honor the Lord and you will most impact your husbands with the gospel if you treat your husband better than do other wives in the culture. Only refusing to follow their lead when to do so violates the word of God. Christianity is no excuse for a saved wife to treat her unsaved husband as a second-rate human being. That's what Peter's saying. Instead, salvation should make Christians the best citizens, the best workers, the best spouses in the society.
Does that make sense? Well, then what do we do? How do we take from the first century Roman stuff and apply something to first century, or from the first century to now modern Christian wives? Listen, bless you. God's word has not changed. It never changed from the beginning. It hasn't changed now. God has still ordered the family in such a way that husbands, godly husbands, are supposed to lovingly, sacrificially lead in the home. And godly wives are to follow their husband's lead, to help them to lead. Godly wives are to respect their husband's leadership. Godly wives are to conduct themselves in purity, like Peter said to first century wives. If a husband is unsaved, a Christian wife should demonstrate in her attitude and in her conduct that she values her husband and that everywhere she can, she'll follow his lead so long as his lead does not violate the word of God. Wives are not called to ever submit to physical abuse. Wives are not called to put up with brutality or sexual immorality from their husbands. But in most cases, in most marriages, there is a way for a godly wife to let her husband know she will respect him and she will follow his lead because she trusts the Lord who designed marriage from the ground up. Now let me add, submission is not exactly a one-size-fits-all item. All husbands are called to lead. That is absolutely biblically true. All wives are called to support. That is absolutely biblically true. But those are going to look different from household to household. There's no rule, for example, that says that the husband has to manage all the household finances. If she is really good at math, and he cannot add two and two without getting five, she needs to handle the books. Is that fair? In my family, even though I am the husband, I do not insist on driving the van. (laughs) Just want you to to know. See, the point is... In a Christian marriage, though, a husband should take the initiative to lead in the family and the wife should submit to her husband's leadership in the Lord. And what we do, dear friends, is we spend our lives working out just how does that look on a day-to-day basis for each other's good and for the honor of the Lord. Second point, after submit to your husband's wives, Adorn yourselves with godliness. Adorn yourselves with godliness. If you don't like the word adorn, you could say dress yourselves with godliness. But I like adorn. It sounds biblical. Verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Works of art from the Roman Empire in the first century 
writings of men from that era show us that the fashion of that day was for women to spend a great deal of time and a great deal of money on elaborate hairstyles and expensive clothing and jewelry to make themselves beautiful. A lady would, would have her hair done in a special way or she might style her cosmetics in a particular way or have jewels woven into her braids and all of that would be a symbol of status or success in society. Well, as Peter continues to talk to the wives here in first century homes, he calls for a different standard of beauty, a higher standard of beauty. Now, in no place here is Peter telling women that they must not dress well or feel good about their appearance. This is not Peter saying, don't fix your hair before you go to church. He's not forbidding putting on makeup. He's not forbidding being happy with what you're wearing. But Peter and God inspiring this through Peter is reminding women that your true beauty does not come from your style. And your beauty doesn't come from the shape of your body. Your beauty does not come from the filter you use on the selfies you post. Your beauty, if you have beauty, is to shine from your character. By the way, since you have the image of God, you have beauty to shine. But it comes first, foremost, from your character. That's what I mean by saying if you have. If you lack character, your beauty is going to be hard to find. God tells the ladies, you really want to be lovely? Let this mark you as beautiful. The hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, the reference to a hidden person of the heart, that's easy, right? That's the real you. That's the you that's inside. What's the chapter? What's the Old Testament chapter for what our whole standard of what a good woman is? Of course, it's all Proverbs 31, right? Proverbs 31.30 says that charm is what? Who knows? It's deceitful. You can fake a sweet personality from time to time. Some of you don't, but you can. <laughs> but the thing that you want for true beauty in the sight of God is found in true character, found deep Deep down in your heart, the real you is to be beautiful. Make sense? You know what Proverbs 31, 30 also tells us? Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, fleeting. The word for vanity often in, in Hebrew was a word that they would use to describe a soap bubble. Physical beauty passes away. This is even true for me. No matter how beautiful you think I am right now, I will not stay this way forever. Ladies, the same is true for you. Right? How many of you have noticed that your bodies change? Skin and muscles... They tend to um, relax over the years. 
perhaps in a way you don't want? As Southern preachers used to say years ago when I was around them, your hair will turn. It will either turn gray or it will turn loose. <laughs> but it will turn. You will not. God, God, God this is what he's telling us. That happened. Your beauty is fleeting. If you are relying on your body to be your beauty, you will be a miserable human being in a few years. You just will. I'm not saying that doesn't mean that you're lovely. You shouldn't hate your body. You should love the body that the Lord your God has given you because God did not make a mistake with you. But if you think the way your body is shaped is what makes you beautiful, you're mistaken. But God tells you there is a beauty that is unfading. There's a beauty that is unchanging. There's a beauty that could never go bad. What's that beauty? That's the beauty you want. And the word of God says that the beauty that you can have that will never ever fade, the beauty from your inner character, that is the beauty of two words, a gentle and quiet spirit. How many of you are going, ugh? The word gentle is the Greek word that is otherwise translated meek. Like, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Two times in Matthew, I can think of right away where Jesus used this same word, gentle, here applied to wives, for himself. Look at Matthew eleven twenty nine or eleven or 21, verse 5. 11... Um, 11.29 or 21.5, both places Jesus refers to himself as meek or gentle. Meekness has nothing to do with weakness. Meekness is a state of having power that you keep under control. A mighty war horse was kept under control in a battle by his rider. A meek person keeps his or her strength under control so as not to do other people harm. Meek does not mean dainty. Meek does not mean wimpy. Gentle does not mean flittery or docile. Gentle is not a woman, an old southern woman in a movie declaring that something gives her the vapors and then she faints. That's not gentle. Gentle, meek, is a strong lady who keeps her strength in check the way any godly person lives. The word for quiet in a gentle and quiet spirit is not what many people think. This is not a word that means that godly ladies put on that fake little wispy voice so they sound more feminine. How many of you know somebody that, that you know, the more godly she got, the more she just started talking like this? Some of you have naturally quiet voices. I'm not making fun of anybody here that I know. I don't know any lady in our church who does this. Yeah, although I don't know all y'all that well. But... But I have been in places where women put on the fakey sweet voice. That's not what quiet means. The word for quiet here is a word for peace or tranquility. 
In 1 Timothy 2.2, Paul says we're supposed to pray for our authorities, our leaders over us, so that we could live a peaceful and quiet life. It's the same quiet. It's a word for being settled as opposed to being combative, constantly in conflict. So put those two words together, gentle and quiet, and we see that a godly lady's beauty comes from having a character that is meek and peaceful. Blessed, by the way, are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. A godly woman, like a godly man, keeps her strength under control so as not to hurt other people. A godly lady like a godly man will be peaceable, will slow down unnecessary conflict instead of exacerbating it. Think of what the opposite of gentle and quiet would be. It would be an aggressive, bullying, argumentative person. And no woman and no man is going to be godly if those are their primary attributes. And God tells us that these attributes in a godly woman, do you see the word God uses for them? These are precious in the sight of God. Literally, the word there, Peter says, godly character, gentleness, and quietness in the way you conduct yourself. He says that's priceless. It's it's worth more than any gold, any jewels you could ever bring. It is tremendously costly, totally valuable to God. These are attributes, ladies, you want these on you because God says they're precious. Verses 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So Peter reminds the wives that to be under your husband's leadership, to have a gentle, quiet spirit, these attributes make you look like godly women of old. The people to whom Peter was writing, they would have known about God's promises to Abraham and his family. They would have known that men wanted to be sons of Abraham. We we want to be the people who inherit the promise of salvation from God by grace through faith in the one who God sent, the descendant of Abraham in Christ, right? We want to be sons of Abraham. Well, godly women also want to be daughters of Sarah. They want to be daughters of the promise of God. And when Sarah was godly, You want to look like Sarah and be godly too. You want to match those attributes. Now, I'm not suggesting that we adopt the exact cultural language of Sarah to Abraham here. You may be surprised to find out that Mitzi does not call me Lord at home. (laughs) No matter how hard I try. See, that term fit the cultural expression of respectful speech of that time. So today the parallel needs to return us to the call for a wife to be under her husband's leadership in a respectful way. Peter already said this. That kind of respectful treatment from a wife has a tremendously positive impact on her husband. The example here is not to say, hey, evaluate everything Sarah did and be just like Sarah. Because y'all, Sarah messed up royally a couple of times in the book of Genesis. But the point is, Peter says, look, There's a lady in the Old Testament you all respect. 
And that lady you all respect, she submitted to her husband respectfully. And even when she and her husband messed things up royally, God still took care of them. So Christian wives need not fear the fearfulness that we often have of obeying a hard command like this one from God. The call for wives is to do good, to obey the word of God, and to be under their husband's authority as God set up. I'm not saying at all that you ever let your husband break the law. I'm not saying at all you let your husband physically abuse you. No, no, no. No, I'm not saying that you follow your husband's lead into anything that would dishonor God. But the point is, ladies, in meekness and peace and character, trust the Lord enough that you become a helper for your husband and you help him lead you and the family. Third point, last point for this morning. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the second time today we get a likewise. And now we see Peter is going to give some similar commands for husbands as to how they are to behave at home. Notice this is the first time in this section God inspires instructions for how the one in authority is to live. He didn't tell the emperor how to be and he didn't tell masters how to be, but he tells husbands how to be. And these are important instructions. Ladies, if you feel the burden of the call to submit to your husband... Please understand, God is about to lay an extremely heavy burden on your husband's shoulders too because we get the burden to lead like Jesus. Men, the first thing I'm going to point out to you is that Peter does not at any point tell you that it is your job to make your wife submit to you. The work of helping your wife's heart and attitude is between her and the Lord. You help her to grow in Christ. But if you try to force her attitude toward you to be different by commanding her, you must respect me, you're going to end up in a bad place. If God calls our wives to follow our lead, which he most certainly does, men, he easily as strongly calls you and me to be men who ought to be followed. The burden of leadership is on you and me and on our character. What does it take to lead? First, Peter says, live with your wife in an understanding way. That literally, according to knowledge, live with her according to knowledge, which means husband, you are to know your wife. You should know where she's strong and where she's weak. You should know what feeds her soul and what hurts her heart. And you, husband, are to live with your wife in a way that shows that you understand her, that you're going to protect her, and that you are not going to take advantage of her. Peter tells you, husbands, to show honor to your wife as the weaker vessel. There's nothing politically correct in that. But it's true. In almost every marriage, the husband is going to be physically stronger than the wife. 
that's just how God shaped human bodies. And men are commanded here by God never to use their physical strength to bully or threaten. But we're called to understand that our physical strength requires us to treat our wives with special honor. Our strength should lead us to take extra care to protect our wives. No man is a real man who would use his strength to hurt or threaten his wife. The concept here of showing her special honor actually kind of reminds us of Paul talking about the parts of the body. Because there are parts of the human body that we cover, giving them special honor. Why? Because they're not for public viewing. They need to be treated tenderly. Husbands are supposed to give their wives special honor, same concept, by protecting their wives. If you had a, a valuable vase in your house, it's a vase if it's valuable, right? It's a vase otherwise. <laughs> but if you had one, you would protect it from harmful things like flying baseballs. I knew a couple who went to someone whose home, they, they, were, they were inviting people over for fellowship. They invited people with children over for fellowship and they did not put away, I'm not kidding you, a Fabergé egg. It did not end well. You protect things like that, right? Well, you don't buy things like that, but you protect them if you got them. Now, we protect our children by not letting strangers walk off with them. Husbands, you protect your wife by living with her according to knowledge. You shelter her from physical danger, and you never, 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 never use your strength against her. And what are the two reasons God gives husbands to be appropriately protective and gentle with our wives? The first one is we are to treat our wives with love and respect and protection because our wives are heirs, with, uh, heirs of the grace of life with us. In brief, Peter is reminding us there is no difference between men and women when it comes to value in the eyes of God. Every woman who is saved is, is just as much a child of God as is every man. Every woman on earth is just as much as much an image bearer of God as, in, as is any man. And we dare not allow ourselves ever to consider any woman as less of a person or less of an image bearer, less worthy of life, less worthy of respect. Because we have equal value in the sight of God. Men, you lead your wife with Christ-like love because she is a bearer of the image of God. And Peter also says that a husband who leads his wife as he should will not have his prayers hindered. Obviously, I think here the implication is that a man who does not love his wife as Christ loved the church is a man whose relationship with God is going to be interrupted. You cannot love God and mistreat your wife. You cannot treat your wife badly and then expect that your personal walk with God is just fine. No, it requires repentance. Mistreating your wife is a sin. Being harsh with your wife is a sin. And if you want things to be okay between you and God, you've got to repent of that sin and love your wife like God commands. Now, friends, can, can we agree there are probably a thousand and one implications from all that we've seen here today? 
It is your responsibility as a Christian not only to accept the principles from these verses, but to work out how to live them in your life, in your home, in your marriage. This is worth talking over in small groups. This is worth talking over over meals. I could see us making a, having a fun Sunday school conversation over the how on this, couldn't you guys? For those of you who miss Sunday school, we have a lot of fun. You should come. This is worth figuring out, folks. Wife, how can you get under your husband's authority? Wife, how can you play the role of one who helps and builds up your husband? How can you find your beauty in your character? How can you control your strength and develop a character of peace? How can you trust the Lord to work on your husband? Husband, how can you love your wife? How can you better grow to understand her unique strengths and weaknesses? How can you encourage her to be strong and creative and wise and beautiful in the sight of God? How can you be sure to never use your strength or your position against her? but always for her good. How can you be sure, men, that you treat your wife, all women, as bearers of the image of God and just as valuable as you are? The only way we're going to get these things right is when we walk with Christ. We've got to remember we are sinners. Our sins would separate us from God, and our only hope is that our sins be covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our only hope is to trust the Lord, trust Jesus, come to Him in repentance and faith, and trust Him to work the process of sanctification in our lives. So Christians, live in marriage, live in your homes to show that God is great and fully trustworthy. If your spouse isn't saved, live graciously, respectfully as you ask God to do a miracle in the heart of your spouse. Real quick, let me say this, Christians. It is not okay for someone who is a Christian to choose to marry a non-Christian. The Bible's very clear about that. The whole point of a Christian being married to a non-Christian is that a Christian might, they might both be unsaved and they, when, they, the Christian is, when the person is then saved, you've got a, a marriage of a believer and a non-believer. But it is always rebellion against God for a Christian to marry a non-Christian. So I'm not saying that's okay. I want to be clear on that so no one uses this against me later. But if you're married to a non-Christian, live respectfully with them as you ask God to do a miracle in the heart of your spouse. And if you don't know the grace of God in Jesus Christ, I would urge you, come to Jesus, find the mercy of God, because that's the only way you're ever going to be forgiven and the only way for you to live as God has designed you to most flourish. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we pause and we thank you because you are good. Your love endures forever. You know us and what we need far better than we do. And we would ask you, Lord, to help us, please, not to fight 
your word. Help us not to battle you. Help us not to think that we know better than you. Help us not to think that your word must not apply because our society is different. Help us to love one another and protect one another to your glory. And Lord, help us not miss the gospel because we're all failures here. Every husband in this room has failed. Every wife in this room has failed. We need Jesus. I thank you that Jesus showed what perfect self-sacrificial love is. And I pray that we'll demonstrate it at home. God, be glorified. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.